Tonight on the Big Footy Cats podcast, I'm joined by SJ, Pure Ownage and the Jester to preview the 2014 National Draft. Tall or small, defender or midfielder, long term or short term. Don't go anywhere because all that and more is coming right up. My name is Guyson. Hello and welcome to the show. Joining me tonight, forever the optimist, it's SJ. How are things? Uh, thank you, Guyson. Welcome along, everyone. Uh, very much looking forward to tackling a few of the questions from the Big Footy Cats board tonight with a couple of our draft gurus. And next up, proudly wearing number 31 on his back and eagerly awaiting to see who will become his new favourite son, it's Pure Ownage. Hi, Guyson. Welcome, guys. Yeah, really excited for the draft coming up next week and looking forward to um, taking some of our input from some really valued board members tonight. And last but not least, coming to you all the way from Indonesia, our resident draft guru, it's the Jester. Uh, g'day, guys. Jeez, that's a, that's a big title to live up to, draft guru. <laughs> I feel we need to talk it down a bit. Um, but yes, looking forward to, to answering a few r- questions in the mailbag. I think it's one rung below the list manager. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just uncalled for. What's- no matter what drafting title we give ourselves, um, it's it's very unlikely we'll actually manage to predict who Wells is going to select tonight, but um, we'll give it our best shot. That's right. Um, first topic we thought we'd discuss before we get into the draft discussion itself, um, Neil Baum, he's recently done the old switcheroo, he's back at Collingwood now, and the question we're going to put, put to each other, I guess, is should he be there? Should he be at the draft table um, when the draft rolls around, um, considering he's already committed to Collingwood? SJ, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. Um, look, you, you, you think logic says no. Um, I believe that he's at the club for a few more weeks until the, uh, the you know, the he's sort of done his time. And um, once the draft's over, he can move up to the Lexus Centre or the Westpac Centre or whatever they're calling it now at Collingwood. Um, but you would think that he doesn't have a lot to offer once the draft actually rolls around. I'm sure he probably has had a fair bit of input beforehand. But on draft night considering he's going to be a staff member at another club in 2015, I can't see too much value of him being actually at the table then. It's kind of a really strange one. Like, I, th- I was certainly myself taken aback when I heard that he, was, he wasn't instantly being moved on. I think we're all kind of the same there. Um, it's a pretty unique situation. Um, TJ, PO, do you have anything to add? Uh, no, no, I pretty much agree with, with what SJ said. I, I, I just, you know, his replacement has been appointed and... And so what useful purpose would he serve sitting at the draft table? Um, so, you know, great great servant of, of our most successful era and I wish him all the best at Collingwood. But, you know, as we were discussing off air, seems to be they're just keeping him on so that he doesn't go and spill all our secrets to Collingwood pre-draft. <laughs> I guess so. Probably a um, good decision. Um, we'll get into the first um, draft discussion today and it's pick 10, to go tall or not to go tall. That is the question. Um, who wants to kick us off there? Over to you, P.O. I think I'll have a go. All right, I'll have a go at that one. Look, I think um, it, it's tricky, and we'll, I suppose we'll get more into talking about names in a minute, but 
Um, I've I've kind of said a few things about it on the board lately, and I, I've always feel that with very high picks, and it is worthwhile to remember this is the highest pick we've had in a draft since Joel Selwood, so that gives you a bit of context. Um, I think it's always worth going best available just because when you try and get cute, as a lot of clubs like, you know, Richmond tried to do, you know, 10 years ago, trying to outdo other clubs with high picks. I think that's when you come unstuck, when you try and do that or when you try and draft for needs with very high picks. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of, I'm probably avoiding answering the question in some ways, but I'm like, for me, it's the best player available is the player you should pick that high. Um, whether that's going to be a key defender, which is something we've talked a lot about on the board, or maybe a midfielder probably depends on what the Giants do because they've got three picks ahead of us. But I wouldn't really be looking too much at needs with a top 10 pick, I don't think. Um, what about you, TJ? Um, in this instance, I would probably agree because sort of as I said in the in the draft preview, I think looking... Looking at our needs, it feels like a midfielder is, is really paramount and the, and the kind of midfielder you get um, at pick 10, you know, someone who can win their own ball, who has really good skills on the outside is, you know, is just a really top-line player. Um, but moving up to 10, it just, seemed, it just seemed that the guys who were going to be around that mark would be key position players and key position defenders in particular. Um, mm. Having said that, sort of the the recent chatter has suggested that someone like Mav Weller might slide to our pick, which would be um, which would be pretty incredible. So, sorry, Lockie Weller is it? Uh, no, oh yeah, Lockie Weller. Sorry, Mav is his brother. Yeah, who you know is a is a good player, but perhaps um, not quite at that level. Running yeah. around with St Kilda, um, yeah, someone like like Lockie Weller would be, you know, I think would be would be a great addition but yeah so it'll, it'll depend a bit on on how it plays out on the day so yeah i i would agree with po i would be happy if they took a key defender um or even someone like peter wright who's a who's a big key forward ruckman who's also there's talk of him sliding um even though it, it means that player probably won't um bust into the senior side um immediately SJ, what do you think on that question? Um, what's what's our greatest need now, and should we focus on addressing that, or should we just go best available? Uh, look, uh, for, for, I guess from a um, a less specific point of view and a more philosophical point of view, I my, my personal opinion is that we're in great need of um, looking for filling holes in key defence and midfield places on the list going forward. That doesn't necessarily mean in the team in 2015, but it means, you know, they're, they're really dry um, funneling into those two areas. So personally, I was just thinking then whether you take someone who was maybe a pick 16, 18 type value midfielder, um, if that was the next best midfielder uh, left when it, when we got down to 10, or you, if you take the bloke who, yeah, he's about a pick 10, but he's a tall, considering that we've just traded in more talls, we already have quite a suite of them that, um, for whatever reason, have or have not got a lot of games, but they've been on the list for quite a few years. Um, and also, we've just shuffled out the door quite a few, um, I guess, speedy midfielders who are getting games, but also um, uh, sort of B-grade uh, fringe midfielders who weren't getting games. So personally, for me, I would go the midfield or, or defender option um, because I just think it's... Um, I, I guess the long term it, it plays out better for me but 
Um, I can see where the best available comes in, particularly when you only get pick 10 every now and then, certainly for Geelong, um, and we haven't had that for a while. So to sort of give up some value in that in that sense doesn't, um, you know, we, we may lose in that scenario. But I was just thinking in terms of um, that question as well, P.O., maybe I'll throw this one to you. Um, does that also feed into the, the foresight we should be taking to this draft? So um, should we be looking for a long-term um, viewpoint? Should we be drafting for the next 10 years? Or is there something specific that we should be looking for uh, for immediate impact 2015 um, into the team or maybe even 2016? Should we, should our sights be at the future or the, or the present? Uh, look, I think ideally, and this is where it's difficult to be a list manager, so I can kind of, you know, predict stuff from my land room, but I'd never be qualified enough to be a list manager. Ideally, you're always trying to do both, and that's where it's really difficult because you primarily want to draft for the long term. You're looking for, you know, and you look at some of the guys we've had that just retired recently, guys like um, Chapman um, and your Hunts and your Ottens and your Ling. Um, I mean, obviously, Chapman's played on another club, but all those sort of guys who left us, um, were 10-year players and had really big impact. And not a lot of those guys showed a lot in their first couple of years. Like um, I remember watching Ling in his first couple of years thinking he wasn't going to become a midfielder. Um, you know, Hunt was very so-so early on. Joel Corey was pretty so-so early on. So I'm not a big fan of um, putting short-term. I think long-term is the primary thing when you draft. But obviously, you know... Wellesie's got coaches who want to succeed next year. Geelong wants to continue to make finals again. That's the blueprint. That's what the club puts out every year. So it's kind of you're juggling both outcomes, I think. But I think always the primary thing we should be looking for with draftees is where they'll be in three or four or five years. Occasionally you get someone who jumps out very early like Joel Selwood did and comes straight in. But I don't think that's really what you have to have. You, you need you need long-term players more than you need short-term players, and particularly with the number of guys that we've got retiring coming up, you need long-term players. Mm. And I guess that would feed also into the fact that you're prepared to go tall again because talls can take a little longer. Um, the one thing I see is that perhaps that will hurt some of our results a little bit more. Maybe 2015, 2016, we, we might not have... The, the team on the park we've had in recent years. Um, TJ, do you agree with this philosophy? Uh, yeah, definitely. And and I guess the thing I'd add to that is if you look at the team now, it's sort of built around two um, demographic groups. One is the guys taken in 05-06, which is um, Hawkins, Taylor, uh, Selwood, and now Mitch Clark. And then the guys taken in 09-10, which is, which is Duncan, um, and, you know, Guthrie, Hall and Smith, Caddy. Um, and so, yes, it would be great if a guy, if the guy we take at pick 10 this year has an impact next year, but realistically, the guys we're taking in this draft and the next draft are going to be the ones who need to be hitting their prime as that first group of Selwood and Taylor and Hawkins and Clark um, sort of start to fade. Mm. So I think you have to, you have to take a long-term view. And, and I guess the other thing is, you know, we can actually look at the players who are available and, and yeah, the tall players probably won't make an immediate impact. But, you know, I'm not, I, I wouldn't be hugely convinced that some of the midfielders we could potentially take would make a massive impact next season either. So, in a sense, it's a bit of a, 
it's a bit of a uh, false dilemma. Yeah. Um, but segging into the actual names, PO, what are some of the better midfielders who would be available? Do you reckon? Um. Look, I think it's it, this is a bit of a weird draft in that, like, usually when you sit with a top 10 pick, I, I remember reading draft orders in previous years, and it, by this stage, because we're a week out from the draft for anyone who's kind of tuning in for the first time, it tends to be fairly set as to what the top 10 is going to be. This year, because you got one team having three picks out of the 10, well, actually, there's only eight live picks before us, because obviously... Collingwood's got a father-son pick. It's a bit harder to predict things because, you know, three picks really means you can take a lot more risks. And so that third pick from the Giants might be someone we totally didn't think of because they've already picked two guys <laughs> in the top ten. So, I, you know, I, not to be a cop-out, but I find it harder to predict in, in than in previous years. I... And also not just because they've got the three picks, but because... Um, from all reports, from pick five to you know pick twenty or even thirty, a lot of people are saying this is yeah. almost dead even. Like there's there's players rated outside the top twenty who could yeah, be going. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I'm not sure what TJ thinks, but I I tend to think it's a fairly even draft. Um, to I mean to get on the midfielder question, probably a couple of guys who've been talked about a lot on our board lately. One is Jared Pickett, who's a very um, quick inside outside midfielder from Western Australia. Um, Probably quite similar to Brad Hill, who plays at Hawthorne, similar type of player. A um, lot of talk that Geelong wanted to get him at 10 because obviously West Coast are very keen, but he might go before that. Um, the other one is Lockie Weller, who's been in the Gold Coast. He's been in the Gold Coast Suns Academy. He doesn't qualify as his own selection, so they can't take him um, as his own player, but he's been in their academy. Um, his brother plays for St Kilda. Um, and he's, again, a similar sort of midfielder to Mitch Duncan, very very good endurance player, good skills, um, all-rounded player. Um, the other one who has been a bit of late talk about is Jordan Degoe, who's more of a probably Josh Caddy type of midfielder, um, more of a, like, inside, very contested player. Um, and he, a lot of people were talking about him towards the back of the first round, but now he's leapt up a bit, which kind of tends to indicate the draft is fairly even. So if we don't go for a tall, probably those three would be the main names that I would expect. Um, yeah, those are all the names I've, I've, I've sort of um, been tracking. I guess the other one is uh, Jaden Laverde. Laverde. Um, I guess I guess the thing is, talking about, you know, you look at pick 10 and the reason you sort of think, oh, you're leaning towards key defender is I have to admit all of those players, with the, with the exception of Weller, um, you look at them and you think, oh, is this, is this a guy who's worth pick 10? And so I think, I think your comment about it being a really even draft is right. But, and, and sort of with the usual disclaimers, um, especially especially this year, I haven't seen as much of them as I would have liked. But there's like even someone like Dugowie. I mean, he looks a, he looks a competent, he looks a good player, but he he doesn't look like a player going. Geez, I really wish, um, I really wish he would end up at Geelong. You know, in in past years, this kind of yeah. thing where where we're picking at sort of pick nineteen, pick twenty, going, oh, how good would it be to be a bit further up the draft and get this real cream? It, it, it doesn't sort of feel like that this year, certainly for the midfielders. Um, well, would you say 
would you say that perhaps um, would have a better chance of getting um, value for money, if value for our pick, if we were to go for a defender um, or someone like Peter Wright, than if we were to go for one of these 10 to 15 midfielders that are rated anywhere from 5 uh, to 25? Yeah, that would be my feeling, especially, um, sorry, a few of the names, uh, Jake Lever, uh, who is, yep. he's, sort of, he's sort of done the cunning move of not actually playing any footy in his draft year, which sort of tends to inflate your value... Like, the less you play, <laughs> the more you get hyped. Um, the Nathan Vardy effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, He's a better player than Nathan Vardy, though. But, yeah, that's true. Um, and, I mean, if you, go and, if you go and look at his highlights video on, on the AFL side, and, I mean, and that's all I've seen of him um, because he didn't, he didn't play this year with his ACL, um, you know, he looks, like, he looks like a really effective player. I guess my... You know he's he's attacking. He's strong overhead. He's a really nice user of the ball. He's got the confidence to take guys on. I guess a question mark is, you know, this highlight reel just sort of features endless sidesteps where he, you know, he, he sort of faints at a, a, a player into into trying to smother him or go for the tackle and didn't just sort of glides around them on the other side and has a bit of time to dispose of the ball. Obviously, if he's done an ACL, you're thinking he's going to still be able to one. do that. And and I guess the other question is, does he play as a key defender, or, or or does he play as that third tall? And if it's the latter, is that is that something we need more of? Um, there's Hugh Goddard, who's the local boy, who was really impressive um, as a 17 year old for Vic Country last year. Has had a more up and down season this year, but but very much looks like that that big, strong sort of gorilla key defender that, um, that a lot of people think we need. And, you know, there's the whole sort of Falcons angle um, that often gets played up around Geelong, around draft time. Uh, and then there's Sam Durden, who is a bit different. Again, he's really strong overhead. He's good below his knees. He's a bit bigger at sort of 196, 197. Played ruck uh, for South Australia and his South Australian junior team. Um, but is that sort of classic tweener who will have to play key position at AFL level and probably is a key defender. Um, and he, you know, he looks like a really classy player, but again, that, that whole sort of tweener thing a la, say, Tyrone Vickery of, you know, is he going to be able to transition into one position um, at AFL level or is he forever going to be stuck between the two? So out of the, those... Lever. Look, I would... I think it depends on um, who's there. Like, for example, I think it's fairly likely out of those three that one of them will get to pick 10. And that's probably why we're talking about picking a key defender. But probably only one of them will get to pick 10. It's it's unlikely that all three would get there. I would, you know, hypothetically to answer the question, I would pick Lever. I think he's the best player of the three. Um, he really shows... I watched him play a couple of games for um, Calder uh, last year before he was injured. He did also captain Vic Metro as a 17-year-old last year. Um, and he's just got a really good ability, like reads the play exceptionally well, like very, you know, kind of Harry Taylor-like in terms of that ability to read when to come off a player and influence a contest. Um, and he's just really, his decision-making is really, really, really good. Um, I think Goddard is not at that level offensively, but defensively he's a really good player and I've watched him shut down a couple of good players um, this year. Um, and, and Durden's probably a bit more of a hybrid of the two, um, probably maybe not quite as good as, as Goddard in terms of in a body contest, 
but very, very good right. when the ball hits the ground, can you know kill you with his run and his athleticism for a guy that size. I'd be happy with all three of them, but I'd probably pick Lever. Having said that, we have a lot of guys in our rehab room, so that complicates it a bit, but that's probably probably what I would go for. One one guy who's been um, very heavily rumoured to come to the Cats recently, um, rumoured to slide as far as pick 15, actually, is um, Peter Wright. He's a Ruckman slash forward. Um, I know what the, the listeners are thinking at home. All we need is another Josh Walker slash Nathan Vardy slash Reese Stanley slash Mitch Clark. But um, <laughs> it's, it sounds like he could potentially be the best available at the pick. Um, what do you guys know about him and what would you think about taking a, a Ruck forward at pick 10? Oh, he... Um, I, I guess the difference between all those players you mentioned and, yeah... You know, there is there is definitely not a crying need for him on the list, but unlike all those guys, he's two hundred and three centimeters. You know, he's he's a proper ruckman size. He's definitely not a tweener. So, I would I would just be staggered if he made it past one of GWS's three picks after they've lost Boyd. Um, but but if he did, uh, I would I would be happy that it, I would be happy that he made it to Geelong because you know he he could be a really really good player for a long time. Um, either in ruck or playing as a forward, um, and as I said, you know, the, if you're looking to transition, Clark and Hawkins are probably going to be sort of um, starting to fade as as whoever we take at pick we ten really hits the straps. Um, but yeah, I just I I wouldn't want to be the one making the decision given um, given it doesn't address a crying need, but he is a real talent. Pio, yeah, look, I think it it's difficult, and I did read an article. Um, that with Wright himself today where he was saying he kind of considered himself both, like he can do both roles, play forward and also um, cover in the ruck. Um, I mean, he is, the point that TJ made is 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 quite um, true. He doesn't really address a need on the list, but he's a, you know, very, very quality player, um, can really mark the ball, is a really, really good kick for goal, runs a very high beat test, Um for for a, a tall guy, I mean, most of the guys that get drafted who are tall forwards are kind of lack a bit athletically. He doesn't, um, and that's why he plays well in the ruck because he can cover the ground, and his ball handling is really really good in terms of agility. Um, you know, kind of he can pick up the ball really cleanly for a guy who's that tall. Um, it, I mean, it would it would create some juggling, and he might have to play ruck, for example, in the VFL for a little while, and then. Assuming that, say, Macintosh goes at the end of next year, you might start to ease him more into the ruck at AFL level over, you know, three or four years instead of one. But I, I agree with TJ. I'd be really surprised if he makes it to pick 10. And I think sometimes when a, when a really, really good player gets to 10 who's probably, you know, worth three or four, you almost kind of have to pick them. Yep. So maybe we do have to do that. Um, SJ, I really want to go, to go to you here. You've been very vocal in recent years. Um, that we've got either a lot of Ruckman or not very many. Um, what do you think of the prospect of um, picking up a Ruckman with pick 10 this year? Oh, I guess I sort of um, touched on this or almost touched on this just before. Um, I, I think that as, as someone who doesn't like to research the draft beforehand, um, I never really look up players or anything like that, but... Um, just because I, I always feel that whoever you, whoever you get at your club ends up being quite different to who you expect anyway. Um, but in terms of a, a, an overall list management issue, I, I, I do believe that successful teams are built off the back of strong midfields. Um, 
you pretty much look at every premiership team you can think of and they they have a very strong but very deep midfield as well not just the first two or three top liners they bat they can bat down to 10 or 12 midfielders running off the flanks as well um for me it's not strong enough at geelong now and yes we've got some coming through but we've also lost uh lost some depth but also lost quality in christensen so i'm more than happy to go the midfield i don't really think we need another forward ruck for now um because a couple we've got still have a number of years left in them um and but the other the other thing is i'd I'd be more than happy to go a defender as well um hoping that he'd be ready to slot in within the next i guess 24 months Mm. now moving on from pick 10 um we've got a new segment this week it's the big footy cats podcast mailbag um first time we've done this um you guys will have to give me a quick hand here um with who's actually asked the questions because i don't have them in front of me uh, but first of all is there a smoky or are they a thing of the past guys okay so the question is from uh the pivotonian um and i think the answer is no and uh i guess there's a bigger point here in that there's Sort of all around this time of year, we joke about how we're never going to accurately guess who Stephen Wells is going to pick, and he's and he's always got some smoky. But I think I think that's slightly misleading in that these days all players are unknown by recruiters, basically are reasonably known by recruiters, and so it becomes less about just finding this miraculous player who's hidden away in some bush league or whatever, and and more about sort of assigning the right value to their talent. Um, and so I think the closest you're going to get to a smoky is someone like George Hall and Smith who hadn't played a lot of a lot of footy because of injury and, and his cricketing commitments and so it becomes do you take a gamble on this kid we haven't seen a lot of vision of um, and, and I guess that, that links into the other the other reason why we as the public consider them smokies because they don't get talked up because they haven't taken a conventional path uh, to the draft and and you know reporters and so on might not have seen a lot of them but the recruiters will know uh who they are so no there aren't smokies don't really exist anymore it's it's more just about Stephen wells clearly assigns value to talent in a way that's reasonably different to a lot of other recruiters having mm-hmm. said that um Wells has had picks around around about pick 15 for the last couple of years. Um, he's picked up Jackson Thurlow and Darcy Lang with the first elections. Both players who were rated to go, you know, um, outside the top 20, possibly outside the top 30, mm. uh, but they've still, en- still ended up with us in the first round. Um, if we were to take a player rated outside the top 20 at pick 10 this year, I myself would consider that a smoky because um, moving, you know, the draft pick switch to move from pick 14 to pick 10... If we were to then end up with a player that nobody's talking about as a top ten selection, um, I just personally can't see how that wouldn't be a smoky. That's my point of view here. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I guess that depends on yeah. how you define smoky. Yeah. Like so, sort of my, I would I would see a smoky as being sort of, you know, someone who, um, you don't know anything about. So, okay. um, yeah, but I mean. You know, yeah, you're right. Well, I guess what I'm classic. talking about is more sort of a shock selection rather than a smoky. But yeah, yeah, yeah. and and, yeah. and I could, I could, that would, as you say, that would be totally in character for him to for him to pluck a kid who is not sort of highly rated by the public, and and take him much higher than expected. Yeah, yeah. Like you- I think I think I I read a couple of articles on AFL.com during the week, and one was 
Alex McDonald talking about like this was back in the 90s when he got drafted by um, um, by his first club and he had no idea he'd even been drafted. People had to tell him he'd been drafted and he was drafted at pick <laughs> one. Um, and I remember Pelchin was talking about an article where they were told, Hawthorne were told to pick a guy who they'd never seen play, who they found out about the day before the draft and they used, a, I think, a third round pick on him. Like that sort of gen, that type of level smoky stuff doesn't happen anymore. Like recruiters have such networks, they have people that get to that many under 18s games, but then also league games for guys who are playing in like central reserves, for example, as as underage players. That there's not that degree of smoky anymore, but there is still the hey, we'll take someone that everyone else thinks is a rookie pick, and we'll really take him really early, and we'll nail it. So, which I think is more what you're talking about, but I think that's a different thing from an actual bush smoky that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. I don't think you really have many of them anymore. Uh, SJ, you've got the next question for us? Yeah, that's right. Um, following on another one from the Pivotonian, who's uh, given us a whole raft of questions, which is great. Um, just to TJ first, um, there seems to be some feedback that the big footy um, draft community and those who like... Um, assessing the under-18 players um, aren't really rating the South Australians this year. Um, however, they've gone... The, the, the under-18 South Australian team has won the past two championships. Um, I'm just wondering why this may be. Is that um, is that perception accurate or is actually a bit more quality there? Um, it's because of the outrageous Victorian bias that is often um, displayed on big uh... footy as our <laughs> Adelaide and Port Adelaide um, chums so often tell us about. No, I think it's this year. It's it's because because they're a short team, basically. Like a lot of their good players are sort of sub one eighty centimeters, um, or or just on the one one eighty centimeter mark, and and that puts recruiters off. Um, so I think I think that's why I know I know the Pivotonian and Year of the Cat have have both been talking up the idea that there's a bit of value to be found in these shorter players uh, later on in the draft, uh, which I would agree with. So. There was another question I think asked in the mailbag um, from Two Planks, and he asked, um, you know, do given given this sort of craze for really big midfielders like, yeah. um, but I mean, sort of Mundy and Co from Frio, uh, are the other days of sort of really short midfielders done? And and I'd say no. And there's actually been a bit of a at the same time as there's been this emphasis on really big guys, there's also been an acknowledgement that. Um, smaller guys still have a role in the game and, and are worth picking up and aren't and shouldn't be disqualified purely because of size, um, although it's still an issue. So I guess the poster child for that this year is Caleb Daniels, who uh, I mentioned in the draft preview, who's 167 centimetres. So it, like he's genuinely tiny. Yeah, uh, that's almost Liberatore style. Yeah, like it's this thing of, you know, like the the classic cliche about short players, oh, if you had another ten centimeters, he'd be a top five pick. Like if you added another ten centimeters to Caleb Daniels, he would still be a fringe prospect because he's so short. But <laughs> he's just a really good player, and and watching him, you know, he's a thumping kick. He knows where the goals are. He's got um, agility on the inside. He finds the footy, and and it is a legitimate concern. You know, is he big enough? Will he just get bumped off? Um, the ball in the AFL or he won't be able to stick tackles or whatever but you would like to think that someone would would take a punt on him given just how much talent is there yeah that's Um, right and uh, I think the other thing is there as well is that um, definitely for me you know a team that's gone through some turbulence in recent years but 
I think is heading in the right direction is uh, Brisbane. Um, and they've shown with drafting and also uh, mature age recruiting that they can make those smaller nippy midfielders work um, and actually probably become their one weapon in 2014. Um, just thinking of, of Zorko there, but also drafting Lewis Taylor, quite quite a small player. Um, I think we were talked, you know, he was talked about heading to Geelong at one point. He ends up winning the Rising Star. Um, look, I, I, I'd agree with you there and say that they definitely have a place and actually can be become a differentiating factor. Um, P.O., what do you think about the South Australian crop? Well, I tend to agree with TJ. I think um, they are a fairly, like, if you take out Sam Durden, um, they are a fairly short side this year and um, recruiters tend to, there's a bit of a trend at the moment towards picking very medium to tall size midfielders because they give you more positional versatility and obviously the guys who are sub 180 centimetres can definitely still make it on an AFL list, but they're more limited in terms of the positions they can play, um, and that tends to affect where in the order they get drafted. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I can see where the Pipitone is coming from. They have some outstanding players, like guys like um, Jake Johansson and um, Daniel in particular. I mean, Daniel's a classic case of if he wasn't short, he wouldn't get anywhere near pick 10 So um, because he really, really can play. So... Um, like I, I watched him play one game down at Simmons where basically it was just a midget running rings around people of all sizes. Um, <laughs> I think he, I, he kicked three goals that day and I think he had 30-something possessions. And there was there was one passage of play where basically he ran 180 metres. He started the ball in the back pocket and then when it got to the middle, he won the contested possession and then he ended up kicking a goal in a forward pocket. Like that's the sort of thing the kid can do. So, um, yeah, I, I think... Certain parts of the South Australian team um, have, have been underrated a little bit this year, probably because of height. Um, but the recruiters will still see value in that. Like, you know, media and people don't talk about it, but it doesn't mean the recruiters aren't interested in the players. Most of them will probably still get picked up anyway. Moving on to something SJ touched on um, briefly before, um, mature age players, should we or shouldn't we? Is this something we should be considering with some of our later picks uh, this year, TJ? Uh Yes, I, I think I think there's there's always value to be had in mature ages. I guess the name that's being thrown around a lot um, this year is Matthew Panos, if I've said that right. Um, yeah. Who you know was a was a sort of fringe key forward for the doggies and and um, didn't make it and and went back to the Sandful and turned himself into a midfielder and has and has put up sort of huge numbers. And again, this trend of you know of big midfielders, he's like 191 centimeters, so. I think the, the the big question mark on him at the moment is he has notoriously uh, brittle hamstrings and is his body going to be able to handle the sort of distances that he's going to have to run as a midfielder at AFL level. So, I mean, someone like that would, would instantly improve the side. I guess the question then becomes demographics, but given they've topped up on all these mature players and assuming they only use a late pick on him, I, th- I think it could be a good idea, yeah. Pierre? Yeah, look, I don't have a massive issue with it. I, I think um, it depends on... Um, I, I, I know the Pivotonian started this this post in our questions thread, and it depends on your definition. So, for example, he's quite keen, and I've also been quite keen on um, someone called Josh Glenn, who's played two seasons of senior footy in the Sandful and is a very good um, small defender slash midfielder, um, and has, but 
has not come through a lot of traditional pathways. And so he's not really that old in terms of mature age terms. So it depends what you define a mature age player as. To me, a lot of players who are under 23, 24 probably shouldn't be considered massively mature age. So, so long as we're not topping up with really old players in the high 20s age bracket, I, I don't really have an issue with it. Um, and particularly with some of our later picks, I think you look pretty much you look for the best value you can get. And sometimes a player who has played a year or two of state league football who um, is very accustomed to playing against senior players is better value, actually, at a later pick. So I don't really have a problem with it. Um, it just depends who falls through. But I, I, I don't think... Like if we took, for example, one or two players who are 22 or 23 at the back end of the draft, I don't think it's going to skew our list too much. Yep. Yeah, that's um, right. SJ, do you have the next question for us? Yeah. Um, I, I guess we touched on this a little bit earlier in terms of maybe that top 30 selections. Um, I know a few of the guys were mentioning that it's relatively even between maybe those picks five down to 25 or 30. Um, but maybe uh, P.O., in regards to the draft crop as a whole, um, is it a bit more? Is there more depth there this year, or is it a little bit, little bit more even than other years? Maybe right down to the sixties or so. Just keeping in mind that um, Geelong's got a, a couple of picks uh, quite late in the piece, down at forty-seven, fifty-five, and sixty. Um, is the quality extending that low this year, or is it um, a little bit more shallow than in recent years? I think probably. My assessment would be the top end, maybe the top, you know, five or six players um, is probably a bit more shallow than in previous years. Having said that, the last few drafts, because they've been dominated by GWS and the Gold Coast, you've had a lot of players picked in the top 10 who've been able to play a lot earlier, like clock up 50 games and get a lot more exposure than what top 10 picks normally would. They tend to come along gradually. So it naturally makes you think those drafts are better and this draft is worse, so it's, it's a bit harder to value. But I think the top end of this draft is probably not quite as good as the last two or three, but it does go a fair way down, and it is fairly even. Um, and a lot of clubs, in terms of the, the trade week and the list management, have been fairly happy to take on you know, third-round picks and delist extra players and move them to the rookie list, which is generally a good indication that there's a fair recruit. few recruiters think that the draft has got depth in it. Um, so I think that third-round range of the draft, there will still be some good players. And like I was talking about before, some of the smaller midfielders who are still good players but, you know, get a bit overlooked because of their height will be there and, and we could actually get some fairly good value out of it. TJ? Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. With that point about you know the, there'll be value later in the draft. I think there always is. Um, but yeah, going going back to sort of what I alluded to earlier, watching watching games this year, there wasn't there wasn't that sense of wow, you know, there are so many amazing players in this draft. It was a little bit of um, oh geez, where you know this is a lower quality this year. So I don't I don't really like the idea of strong and weak drafts because I think it can be a bit misleading. But in this instance. Um, I'd say it's probably weaker, but more even. So there'll be there'll be guys around our later picks who are who are um, uh, value and and who can who should be able to fulfil a role and and turn into AFL players. And we'll go on to our very last question of the draft podcast. Um, quite simply, who do we want to take? Um, TJ, I'll start with you. 
Uh, for pick 10, if I was sitting in the chair and Weller was still on the table uh, when it when our name got called out, um, I would I would pick him. I, I just think he, I mean, he's a bit smaller, but I think what P.O. said about him sort of being Mitch Duncan-esque, I would agree with, except he's probably a bit more um, athletic and dynamic um, around contests. And so I think he could shape into that really sort of um, explosive, powerful midfielder with a bit of with a bit of class that um, we perhaps haven't had for a few years. With, is there someone with the, with the exception of Selwood? Is there someone late on that you uh, might have your eye on? When it, should he be, still be available at our picks? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be a bit cheeky and say two. So Ryan Lim from WA, I think, looks just looks like the sort of classic player of a good a good footballer. Who maybe just needs to grow his game ten or twenty percent, and but should have, you know, should have a good chance in an AFL environment of doing that. Um, so it just looks a composed, you know, composed player, a bit of versatility, good size. So I think he would be good value if he lasts to pick forty-seven um, or a bit later. And the other one is uh, this kid, Keenan Ramsey. I think is his name from South Australia. He's a pretty interesting story. He lost his one of his eyes to cancer when he was a small child at about wow. age two. But um, sort of his South Australian coach said, you know, I didn't actually notice. I had to be told, you know, that it didn't impact his play at all. Um, and just a sort of um, a, a bit of an old school fullback, I think, who again is, a, is sort of 193, 194. Um, so if we end up taking a midfielder or, or someone like Peter Wright early, I think he could still um, provide a be a good pick for a key defender uh, late. Definitely, um, Pierre yourself. Uh, this is this is funny when we when we don't plan everything in rehearsal because I was actually going to say Weller, so I'm going to have to <laughs> go right to a note. Um, no, that that was that was who I would have plumped for. I've been keen on him for a while. I, I, look, I'll probably go a different direction. I think um, just for you know not being boring, and I think I would say Peter Wright. I think if he in the very, very unlikely event that the Giants pass on him, to me, he's a top three pick at pick 10. And I think you really, going back from what I said at the start of the podcast, you have to take elite talent, particularly when this draft kind of has a lot of good middling talent, but probably a lax elite talent. Um, and because he has all the athletic abilities that some of the tweener tools have in this draft, but he is a very big player. You know, he's two two oh three centimeters. I think he's one hundred and two kilos. Um, he doesn't present the same concerns in terms of not growing into his body, um, and he can play forward and ruck at a very high level. So I think if he was to get through, um, it would juggle the list a bit. But I I couldn't not take him. I don't think. Um, so that would be my one in terms of late picks. There's there's two that I'm quite keen on. Um, one is um, Nathan Drummond um, from Victoria, who's basically he's a medium-sized, um, quick halfback flanker slash midfielder. Um, has played as an overager, um, so basically he's a 19-year-old like Murdoch did in his year, um, and he pretty much killed the combine. He finished, I think, either third or fourth for the 3K run. He was top three in the beep test. Um, he won the clean hands test. He was very high in the repeat sprints. So he's, he's athletically, he's really shot up because you can see his ability to really cover the ground. Um, and that's really important now. 
Um, and I think he'll probably be around at 47 or 55. He'd be really good value. Um, and the other one, just to keep the Pivotonian happy, would probably be Peter Bampton, um, mid, um, inside midfielder um, from Norwood. Very um, strong-bodied player into the ruck at AF. Might start to ease him more at the end of next year. What what I think he brings to the table is just he's a really good contested player, um, and we probably we've lost some contested midfielders off our list recently. Um, and he looks like he might fall late in the draft as well. So he'd be the other one I'd look at. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know anywhere near as much as uh, TJ and PO know about these blokes, but um, for pick 10, I'm going to say John DeGoey. Um, the word on the street is that Wells likes him, so if Wells likes him, he's good enough for me. Um, and Caleb Daniel, I just love the idea. I can just see him becoming an absolute cult hero. Um, the tiniest player in the draft would be the tiniest player in the AFL. Um, wears a helmet when he plays his footy. Looks absolutely brilliant from what I've seen, so I'd hope we'd pick him up with a late pick. Um, now, SJ, I know you haven't quite done your research on the draft as you don't like to um but come draft night is there anything that will make you uh overly happy or overly disappointed by the end of the night uh probably probably not um to be honest I'll, i like to research the players quite heavily once they're selected um i remember a, f- a few draft nights for example 2009 i was pretty excited um with the swag we got given that we'd we'd actually won the flag so we were in the worst draft position going in um yeah. unfortunately that they all haven't necessarily panned out the way we wanted um, for various reasons. But I was just thinking, um, as some of the guys were then talking about um, the sort of even spread across the um, the middle to late ranges of the draft, and I was just thinking perhaps that was the, the real driver behind um, our trades, uh, a trade of national draft selections. Um, yep. So obviously dropping down from 35 to 47, you sort of think, well, it's you know, a significant drop. But if they're all sort of much of the same at that point, um, but picking up four spots into the top 10 can be quite significant the other way. So um, I, I guess if that is the case, um, and we'll see how that plays out in due course, then perhaps that was the real driver there rather than, oh, the Cats wanted something at, at 10 that they couldn't get at 14. Um, perhaps the, the 10 to 14 was the bonus and the 35 to 47, well, you know, it doesn't really matter anyway. Um, yeah. But that's, yeah, what I took out from those two guys discussing um, discussing the value there. Um, in terms of draft night, look, I think, um, you know, we've, we've had a great discussion here, here on this podcast leading into the draft. Um, it, it's often a lot of people are like me. They don't necessarily follow any of the under-18s, any of, of the, uh, the draft prospects at all. Um, but as soon as the Cats pick up four players, they'll want to know a little bit about them. So um, we'll have um, a, a, a general thread on Big Footy Geelong board on the night um, with live updates, but also a thread started immediately on each player as they're picked. Um, and so I guess if you are like me, you want to know who who pick 10 is straight away um and if you're you know watching on fox footy or listening on sen or following on the website you can't really get much more than the bio from that player straight away but we'll have a lot of people like um the jester pironage and our other guys who really follow this um you see their reactions within a couple of minutes so i guess that's the best way to follow along and um within half an hour or so you get a pretty good read on who we've taken while we've taken them and um what their roles might be going forward Definitely. Um, sounds good to me, and I'll definitely be uh, doing just that. Um, guys, great podcast as always. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Thanks for Thanks. having us. Thanks, Gyson. Not a problem. Um, I believe we'll be back for a draft review. I won't confirm that now because we haven't actually discussed it, but hopefully we will, we will be, I should say. Um, other than that, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. See ya.
Sí, 